You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. invite you in your scriptures to find the book of Philippians. Once again, Philippians chapter 3 will be there in just a little bit. Philippians 3 will be looking at verses 7 and 8. I'll read 1 through 10 here, but you can head on your way to Philippians. And uh, before we even get to our picture from last week, just want to say thank you. I sent out a prayer request this week for myself to pray. Uh, there was a funeral. I mixed. I know it's Sunday because you're all here and we're here, but it's kind of been a busy week, uh, maybe for you as well. But a funeral Friday for my sister-in-law. Her name is Christy for her, her stepdad, Don. She was pretty close to Don. And so was able to do the funeral right over in Lake Mills, Iowa. Just, I mean, somehow it's by God's providence was there. So thank you for praying. I just appreciate that. I saw God just work through the week, just daily sustaining. So I just want to say thank you for being part. Our ministry of Bethany Bible went out, a missionary to Iowa this week. Uh, but uh, anyway, so really just thank you for that. Just sense the Lord just guiding. The gospel went out. gospel was preached in Lake Mills and, and other places. And uh, so we're just, just thankful for that. So thank you. Also want to show um, Oliver's not here today, Oliver Voigt, but this is Oliver's picture. There's a front and the back to it, and uh, I'm just so thankful Oliver, this might be the first picture he's given me. He might have done this before, but Oliver said, this is when the water turned into blood. Now, I don't think I mentioned that this week, but something was on his mind about water turning into blood, and I think on the flip side, the next picture, that's what it looked like. And I'm thinking Oliver had in mind that plague back in Exodus and where the Nile and the water turned into blood. But he's got in there miracle worker too. And God is the miracle worker, so I don't know. My, my interpretation skills, you know, and all that. But I'm just thankful um, he turned that in. And kids, if you're here and you haven't grabbed a notebook, find one or some paper. <clears throat> Adults as well. And I'm just thankful for that. So hopefully by this time you're in the, in the Word. You found Philippians once again, chapter 3. I'm going to read 1 through 10. Just We're going to be in here a couple weeks, but just kind of, again, gives us that context of where we're at. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so let me read God's Word to us again. <clears throat> Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. We just sang about that, didn't we? And put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ." And be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. 
that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Would you pray with me again? Lord, we come to You again asking for Your Spirit to work in this time together. If my mind is like everybody else's, Lord, our minds are easily distracted. There are, there are 10, 20, 30 different things just waiting to occupy our thoughts even at this hour of the day. Father, we entrust to you those things, the things left undone, the things maybe we're anxious about, the things we have to get to. Lord, may you give us spirit-led concentration to hear from your word this morning, to hear from you for it is Your Word to us. Again, Lord, guide my my weak and feeble words to glorify Jesus Christ alone. So we pray for Your work during this time, that You would lead in this time, and we thank You for Your grace upon us in this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if you've ever considered the thought that losing is a better way to go than winning. Losing, a better way to go than winning. Now, I'm not going to bring up the Vikings or the Packers or the wins, losses of them. It's not football season. I'm not on that. Uh, but if you've ever, if you ever thought of losing as a, as a good thing, I know it's what you might say to your kids or say to someone after they've lost a game. You might say, it's good to lose every once in a while. kind of keeps you humble. But in reality, we, we don't hope they lose all the time, right? We're hoping for winning because winning is kind of where it's at. And as we get older, the goals of winning or gaining or profiting continue. They're things we celebrate in our land. Success is certainly better than failure. We, we love to hear success stories. You know, maybe there was a failure, but there's success. We would prefer, maybe even at this time more than others, stock market gains rather than losses. Or we want our teams to win and not to lose. So in order, we'll fire coaches, we'll fire players, we'll rehire this and that so that winning takes place. Or maybe even more personal, in just your own life, you want to win. Lose some weight or have a winning marriage or on Father's Day. You want to have your kids say, man, you're the best dad. Nobody wants the Father's Day card that says, dear dad, you're a loser. Love your son. We, we don't want that, right? Don't get a, an idea, kids, on that. You, we want the mug. If I had a mug up here, you know, you want the mug that says, number one, dad, not number one, loser. Today, though, God's Word would have us consider to embrace the title of loser. Now, I need to define that, but there is a losing that Paul has in mind, a type of losing that, guess what, turns out to be a gain of infinite value. And that gain is Jesus Christ Himself. Paul, I think, would be glad to have the title of number one loser, listen to closely, if it means he has lost all things in order to gain Christ. 
in that sense. So look again with me back to our text. Just in verses 7 through 8 this morning, look again at verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. In the context, Paul is referring, I mean, we kind of stopped here last week. He's just referring back to the gains in the flesh. He's just kind of laid out in verses 4 through 6. I read them this morning, but right, he's saying there, if anyone has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he says, it says this verse 4, then he proceeds, he lists them out. Circumcision, he's got it. People of Israel, he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. Right? He had the right family connections. As to the law, he was a Pharisee, following the law more closely than anyone. Zeal for God looked like, in his way, persecuting the church, thinking he was honoring God in that with his zeal. As for a righteousness under the law, even, he was blameless. In other words, Paul had all the right, the background, the right lifestyle, the right actions to give him a confidence in God. In terms of the flesh, he was a success, a winner, and not a loser at all. But Paul, out of anyone that says, I have more reasons than you to have this confidence, says it's a loss for the sake of knowing Christ. For Paul and us, we worship by the Spirit of, what, of God. The glory is not in us. The glory is in Christ. We glory in Christ Jesus. What some might see as profit or gain in terms of who Paul was, he gladly counts them as loss for the sake of Christ. And then in verse 8, it seems like Paul kind of ratchets it up. He kind of heightens, he magnifies what he's saying. Now look at verse 8. Kind of goes on because there's some repetition here. Indeed, or I think you could say all the more, I think maybe fit in there. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. In verse 7, again, we talked about context. It seems like Paul's referring back to the gains of his background, his lifestyle, those sorts of things, his Jewish credentials, the things that could give him confidence in the flesh. But now, verse 8, it seems to broaden. seems to be specific gains, counting his loss, verse 7. Now, verse 8, I count everything. He counts all of it a loss because Paul has found something of more value, of greater gain, of greater worth. Sean McDonough uh, comments here in the ESV study Bible, he comments here on Paul's complete change in his accounting. If you're into accounting, Paul had an accounting change of heart, it would seem. Here's what he says. He says, what formerly went into the gain column, his power, prestige, obedience, now goes into the loss column. Likewise, the crucified Messiah whom he had assumed must be a loss, is now seen as the ultimate gain. So gains for Paul, they're counted as losses. Paul's merits, he counts as a loss for the sake of Christ. If he can have Christ and forfeit all else, he is glad to do it. And Paul takes this line of thinking, this whatever gain I now consider a loss or I count everything a loss, 
to an extreme in the second part of verse 8. We'll get to the surpassing worth part, but look at the, really the second part of verse 8. He, in fact, he doesn't just describe gains in the flesh or anything of this world. He doesn't describe it as kind of second best or it's close to being good. He describes it as rubbish. You might have garbage in your text. Or if you are, have a King James with you, you have the word dung in there. Yes, it's in the Bible. It's in King James. There it is, dung. Another translation, this is the Net Bible, they, they say this in their translation notes because they too say he counts everything, you know, not as rubbish, garbage, he counts it as, as dung, poop. What a word for Paul to use, right? Here's what they say in their translation. The word here translated dung was often used in Greek as a vulgar term for fecal matter. As such, it would most likely have had a certain shock value for readers. And hopefully, that's what Paul's... If you're going, did Pastor just say poop from the pulpit? He, he did, but it's in the text. And the King James is right there with, you know. So, now, others would point out it could mean garbage, so it could mean both of those. That's why there's some, some mixture in that. But Paul, I think he's, he's doing this to kind of wake... Look at this. Paul's not just saying... Those were nice things, and they're good to have. He's just saying, this is how I look at them. They're as good as it's done compared to Christ in comparison to knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. So what is it about knowing Christ that for Paul was of the surpassing worth that far exceeded any other thing? And how can knowing something, or knowing really here, knowing someone be so valuable to Paul that he would say, these things are rubbish because I want to know Christ? What makes it that way? And I'd just simply compare it to the way that you know anybody. Some, some people you know, you know just by a name, like you know the name of uh, an actor, or you know the name of a quarterback, or you know the name of the president. We're teaching Esther, who's the name of the president. She'll say, Chuck. she's close, you know, on that. But, but do you really know them? You know the name, but do you know who they are? Some are acquaintances. You know each other. They know your name, you know their, but there's not very much closeness. But then you know some very close. The funeral we were at this week, I, I knew... The gentleman's name is Don. I, I knew him. I had met him. It's a more acquaintance. But those gathered, and this is how it is at, at a funeral, those gathered, those closest, they knew Don. They knew him. They had stories from him. His, and his wife knew him in a much closer way, more than I did. And so here, Paul, knowing Jesus, there's a supreme value to this. There's a deepening you might put the word relationship in here for Paul and Christ. I want to know him. Not just know facts about Jesus. You can list out the facts. I think there's something deeper in here of a love for Jesus. But let's review a little bit who this Jesus is and just think of the infinite character of who Paul says, I want to know more than anything else. He is God, a very God. He's the God who entered this world in the flesh. Paul describes him here in verse 8 as Jesus Christ, my Lord. 
just to pull that apart a little bit in his very name, just Jesus Christ, my Lord, or Christ Jesus, my Lord, I should say. His very name, we see first, his name is Christ, the Messiah, New Testament way of saying the anointed one, the anointed one of God. He's holy and righteous. Eric Thane says this of, of Christ. He says, Christ perfectly fulfilled the Old Testament offices of prophet, priest, king. These offices or roles in the Old Testament reveal aspects of God's word, presence, and power. The anointing and empowering of the Holy Spirit and favor of God was essential if these offices were to truly represent God. Old Testament prophets, priests, kings foreshadowed the Messiah who would one day ultimately and definitively be manifest as God's Son and Word bringing access to God's presence and inaugurating the kingdom of God. Luke 4 is helpful. Turn there if if you would. Luke chapter 4, verse 16, because Jesus is going to quote from the Old Testament here and apply it to himself. And you're probably familiar with this passage. Luke 4, 16. Jesus has been tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. His ministry has begun, and here we find him in the synagogue on a Sabbath day. And so let me read this account in 4, uh, verse 16 of Luke. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. Okay, so there he is. Picture him amongst other Jewish come to the synagogue to gather together. Jesus stands up to read. Verse 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus being the Christ, the Messiah, he's the anointed one of God. He fulfills all the Old Testament. He comes to proclaim the good news, to set free the captives, to give sight to the blind. He's the prophet greater than Moses, the priest greater than Aaron. He's the high priest, isn't he? And he's the greater king than David. That's the Jesus Paul is willing to lose it all to gain him. In his name, we also see he's Jesus. Jesus, the New Testament way of saying Yeshua. Right? We looked at that when we were in Joshua. God is salvation. Jesus is salvation. In Matthew, uh, it's one twenty-one. but the angel tells Joseph, he says to Joseph, take Mary as your wife, that what she conceived was of the Holy Spirit. She's going to bear a son, and then what should Joseph do? You shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their 
sins. The flesh cannot save. The flesh cannot give life. It's Jesus who saves. Let me just read from one more place. You could write it down, but Romans 8, 1 through 4 says it this way. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. The law can never save Paul. The law can never save us. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Salvation is in Jesus. And in His name, Christ Jesus, we see Paul calls Him my Lord. Paul's already said, you saw that if we head back to Philippians, already said in the previous chapter, we looked at that, Jesus, Lord of all, right? At the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, everywhere. Every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And yet this, this Lord of Lords, King of Kings, is Paul's personal. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. He's my High Priest, my King. Jesus is the one who is God, who is eternal. He's all-powerful. He created all things. He holds all things together. In Him all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell, and He reconciles us to God. This Jesus is who Paul knows and says, whatever else I thought was important, whatever else I thought might be a gain, it's a loss because Jesus is of infinite worth and value. Think again, just a little, just keep thinking. To know Him is to know what? It's to know the I am. Remember Exodus, the bush, the Moses, who are you? I'm the I am. This is who Jesus is. To know the one who has living water, as he told that woman at the well, who's the bread of life. He's the light of the world. He's the door of our, our way of salvation. The door, Jesus. Who's the good shepherd? When we say, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, when we quote Psalm 23, Jesus is the shepherd. He's the true vine we must abide in. He's the way and the truth, as Milt mentioned. He's the resurrection. He's the life. You see how much no good thing do we have apart from who Christ is. Paul would gladly give up any gain of the flesh, any status, any confidence-producing thing for the sake of Christ. He has his eyes fixed on the prize, the loss of the world, the gain of Christ. So how do we do it? How do we know Christ? The beautiful thing is that knowing Christ begins with God's work in our hearts by His Spirit to reveal Him to us. Even your desire to know Christ, I want to know Him. That desire did not come from you. It came from God working in you for His glory. And then what's our response to His work? Our response is two things. It's one, to see our sin 
like Milt has been talking about, and to see our Savior. We call it repentance and faith, two sides of the same coin. Repentance simply acknowledges what God already knows. God knows us, and if we're honest, we know ourselves. We know we're a sinner and a rebel, and on our own, we cannot earn our way back to God. All our deeds are like filthy rags. All the confidence I might try to have in how I've lived or the good things that I've done, my merit before the Lord were to count as loss. My, my sin mars my life. Nothing good do we have to bring to the Lord. And that's just acknowledging, Lord, I've got nothing but my sin. That's what I bring. It's repentance. I'm sorry, Lord. I recognize you as holy. And then what's faith? Faith is just resting on nothing else but Christ alone for salvation. It's not resting in your deeds. It's not resting in your family background. My parents were Christians. They brought me to church. It's not even if you're in church or you go to church or you've served in church, as good as those things are. That's not what our faith rests in. Romans 3 says this, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction. You know, Jew, Gen, there's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption, the purchasing, the buying back that's in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, a wrath satisfier. It's a big word. To satisfy God's wrath by the blood of Jesus. To be received by faith. You remember that hymn, Rock of Ages? Cleft for me. One verse in there says, Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? And what that means is, if I had zeal with no rest, my zeal was just continuous. Could my tears, if I had tears, if those forever flowed, all for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Are you in Christ today? Is He your Lord and Savior today? Do you know Him? And to the fathers today on Father's Day and others listening in, Jeremiah 9 says this, 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord. Here's the Lord speak. Thus says the Lord. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. These are good words for fathers, right? Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Jeremiah says, let the boaster, if you're going to boast, boast that you understand and know the Lord. How do we know God? Paul answers that, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts 
to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God where? In the face of Jesus Christ. Fathers to you, may your Father's Day mug say, number one, loser. If it means you've lost all. Your kids see you as dad who says, my flesh cannot gain Christ. My life cannot gain merit with him. All I have is what we're going to sing. All I have is Christ. May that be what your kids see and what others see in us. Not here. Yeah, I did this. I was here. These are my, this is what my life looked, looked like. I pray even at, at, your, at your funerals that we, we say, oh, please don't talk. It's only of Christ. Christ alone who saves. We know him by his spirit, revealing him to our hearts. We know him through his word. If Christ fulfills the Old Testament and is all over the New Testament, we should be in the word and listening and hearing him. And we know him by considering all else a loss, not holding on to the things of flesh and knowing Jesus in his glory. So may we join with Paul to say, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And pray for us. Father, the, the, the temptation on this very day is to hear this, not my words, but from your, your word, and to go out from here, and an hour later, we're back saying, my flesh failed again, and how can I get close to God again? Feeling like a failure as a father or mother or child or any of these things. Lord, may we come back again and, and not let Satan uh, tempt us to despair, but come back to Christ again. To lean on this solid rock. It's not our tears, it's not our zeal. Who can atone for sin but you alone, O Lord Jesus? May we rest in you and may we live for you boldly because you came for us. We pray in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.